Last week, I ran into Trenton Yoder. Is Trenton here today? There you are. Uh, and Trenton asked me, um, uh, Todd, what are you going to be preaching on on Sunday? Now, that's a great question for a pastor, isn't it? What are you going to be preaching about on Sunday? And, and I said, well, I'm going to be preaching about becoming good dirt. And there was a very long pause. And finally, Trenton said to me, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I, uh, I'm just so relieved that he actually showed up this morning. So praise God for that. Let's pray together. Dear God, we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our congregation here this morning. Open our ears so that we can hear your word. Open our eyes to see. Open our hearts to receive you. And open our lives so that we might Share your love with others. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Through every moment and every event, God is lavishly sowing seeds in our lives. So writes Thomas Merton, one of the great Christian writers and mystics of the last century. He continues, For just as the wind carries thousands of winged seeds, so every moment brings with it kernels of spiritual vitality that come to rest imperceptibly in our hearts and minds. But, most of God's seeds are lost because we are not ready to receive them. For they can only take root where there is good and receptive soil. What an amazing quote. I remember I was around 18 the first time I heard it. It is found in in Merton's book, New Seeds of Contemplation. And I hardly understood it at that time, and I still am only beginning to grasp this vision that we're giving. That for those of us who are spiritually awake, are we awake or are we sleepwalking through life? But for those of us who are awake, there is this growing, growing realization that like the sower in Jesus' parable this morning, God is constantly sowing seed with abandon. And the seeds fly in all directions, here and there and everywhere, on the hard path, over a rock-littered patch, 
into thorn bushes even, and onto good, rich topsoil, the kind of rich soil for which our Lancaster County is so famous. And in this story, our God is no ordinary farmer. God extravagantly sows the seed everywhere as widely as possible, unworried about the risks, confident of its generative power. And the beauty of our parable today is that the quality of this seed is never in question. The question is about the quality of the soil and the quality of our souls. The word of the kingdom is good, and it brings to life God's own life in our lives. Let me say that again. The seed is good, and it brings to life God's own life in our lives. And what this means is that it brings into our lives new love, new peace, new holiness, a new passion for setting things right in our circle of relationships and around the world. And wherever this seed actually finds welcome, hospitality, a home. It brings forth a harvest of amazing proportions. A yield, not just 30-fold, sometimes 60-fold, even 100-fold. And so the question for us this morning is not about the seed, but about us, the soil. What in us is hardened and packed down? How are we filled with thorns and gravel and rock? How can we become better soil, more receptive, more open to the seed that God is always sowing in our lives. We're going to be focusing this morning on Matthew 13. And for those of you who find it helpful, I invite you to open to this passage and to follow along. Now, as we learned last week, Jesus' ministry has now entered into a new and quite difficult stage. Although people are still flocking to hear him, we see this, for example, in verse 2. The crowds are so great that he has to get into a boat to speak. Even though the crowds are still big, many are now beginning to close their ears and their hearts his message. Their delight is morphing into disdain. Their openness into opposition. For example, just in the chapter earlier, in 1214, we find that even some of their religious leaders are now plotting to destroy Jesus. 
And in the face of this painful rejection from his own people, think about that, from his own people, Jesus now shifts his focus, his audience, and he shifts his tactics. Let's look first on the shift of his audience. Although he's still speaking to a big crowd today, we now see Jesus shifting his primary focus to his disciples. We see this in verse 10. And this becomes even more clear in verse 36. When Jesus leaves the crowds behind, goes into his house in Capernaum, and speaks directly and intimately to his disciples alone. What Jesus is doing is he is now pouring his love and his wisdom into this very particular group of people. He is now nurturing and discipling them to become a renewed and revitalized people of God. They, the disciples, are to become God's new contrast community for the world, showcasing God's love and mercy and justice for all people. Now, Jesus not only shifts his audience, but he now shifts the way that he preaches and teaches as well. In Matthew 13, we now hear Jesus for the very first time begin to preach and teach through parables. Think about it for a moment. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching was direct and clear and to the point. For example, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not a lot of doubt about what that means. People heard it and they knew exactly what it meant. The challenge was actually in living it. But now Jesus begins to speak instead, not through direct teaching, but now through imaginative stories. And our Gospels record about 40 of them in all. Stories about people searching for treasure, farmers sowing, women baking, people fishing. For those who are no longer receptive, all these parables just sound fanciful, pointless. But for the disciples, as we learn in verse 11, his parables are now meant to unlock the secrets of the kingdom. All the mysteries of life lived under the reign of God. And if you think about it, the beautiful thing about Jesus' parables is that they have a way of breaking into and then breaking apart our most cherished assumptions. Don't they? Parables allow God's grace and truth 
especially when the front door is locked, to slip through an open side window, or maybe through the open back door. And they also have a way of continuing to stay with us and continuing to work on us long after we first heard them. And Jesus' story about a lavish farmer has a special staying power with us. As I said earlier, the focus of this parable, I believe, is on the quality of the soil. And I thought a lot about this yesterday when I visited Matthew and Jeannie and John Abai at their farm. And we walked around their, is it 20 acres, 30 acres, 23? And sometimes they would say, this soil is depleted. Sometimes they'd say, oh, don't look at the weeds. (laughs) And sometimes right below the barn, there was this beautifully, incredibly fertile patch of land. This is what Jesus is talking about in in his parable today about the four kinds of soil and about the four different ways that people hear God's word. Some folks are like a hard, packed down path. They never make it from hearing to responding. Some folks are like rocky soil. They hear, they respond with great short-lived joy, but it vanishes in the face of trouble. Or persecution. Some are like weedy soil. They hear, but their wealth and the cares of the world. Did you notice that? The cares of the world. What might that be in our day? Our overscheduled lives? All these things choke out their ability to respond. And then finally, some are like good soil. They fully hear and they fully respond. Now in his interpretation in verses 18 to 23, Jesus is clearly wanting to give insight to his disciples and to the early church about why some people are responding to God's word and some people are not responding at all. They are turning away. But the question I have for us here today is, does he really want us to stop with that interpretation alone? Because I think the problem with that line of interpretation is it always leads all of us, leaves all of us here in the church feeling, we're the good soil. And this parable is about everybody else. You know, as I read Jesus' parable this past week about the hard soil, the scorching sun, the sharp thorns, I saw all of these things in my own heart. Might they be present 
in your hearts as well? And so the deeper question, parables mean different things at different times. And I I, I sense that the question for us this morning is, how can our hard places be watered and loosened up? How can our thorns and gravel be removed? Most of all, how can we become better soil, better dirt, more receptive to the good seed that God is always sowing in our lives? As we think about this, I want us to turn in our bulletin to our purpose statement as a congregation. You'll find it on the back of your cover of your green bulletin. And let's read this uh, together. Our purpose as a congregation is to be transformed by God's mercy grace, and love, to introduce our children and neighbors to Jesus as Lord, as Savior, to equip one another to live peaceably and generously, and to contribute to the well-being of Lancaster and the wider world. I always have trouble reading antiphonally like that. I love... I love our vision statement. And I think what I love most of all is that it gives for us a vision of our church. God gives us a vision for our church that is not static. It helps us to see that we are on a journey in community together of following Jesus inviting others to come follow Jesus with us and to be transformed by God's grace and mercy and love. In other words, this is a vision for us of lifelong growth and steady transformation. Lifelong growth and steady transformation. And I want to mention for us this morning two very simple practices that I believe can help facilitate this kind of steady growth in us and to help us become better soil. The first is I want to invite us every week to read and reflect daily on the Sunday scriptures that we will hear here in worship on Sunday morning. They come flying into your email box every Wednesday. And for those of us who don't have email, we are sending this out by snail mail. I invite us to read these passages and then to let them read us. Let these scriptures read our lives so that we can come to worship on Sunday morning with our soil and our souls 
already watered, already turned over, already eager and receptive for God's word. And here's the thing. As each of us does this individually in our home lives, our corporate congregational worship will deepen exponentially. When each of us comes to worship with the with our souls turned over, this greatly impacts the quality of our worship together. A second thing is let us move from a posture of just hearing the words of Jesus to actually responding to them. You know, we're so shaped by our 200 channels of cable and our hundreds of hours of sitting in front of the internet. This develops a very passive posture where we see things, but we don't, we're quite accustomed to never responding to them. And so this morning, I've placed a special box in our bulletin. Let's turn to it now. It's on the inside cover of your bulletin. I'll read it. Use this space to write down a word or image or Bible verse to which you feel especially drawn this morning. And then invite the Holy Spirit to continue to guide your reflection this coming week and to guide you to know how to respond or in what way you need to grow or be transformed. Today after the sermon, we're going to take a moment, a minute together in silence for each of us to listen to the Holy Spirit in this way and to respond in some tangible way to what God desires in our lives. And I invite all of us, when we get home, to cut out this little box and to tape it up on our bathroom mirror or maybe above our computer monitor and then throughout the week to pray and to ask God to empower us to respond in this way. So we have these two simple steps that I've shared with you this morning that help orient us toward growth, toward continued transformation. Let me close by saying that one of the things that I noticed most of all in our passage today in Jesus' parable is how it ends on such an amazing note of hope. Did you notice that? I needed that hope. I find myself discouraged about what's happening in our world, sometimes discouraged about what's happening in our church. And I noticed that our parable 
this morning ends not with birds snatching up the seed on the hard path, not with rootless plants wilting in the hot sun, not with spindly stalks being choked with weeds. No, it doesn't end with that. I'm reminded here of Adrian. He met me in the in the aisle just now, and he said, Todd, did you hear the Barnstormers won the game last night in the 12th inning? Well, my father and I left in the 8th. <laughs> we thought it was lost. No, dear friends, remember, the sower is good. The seed is good. And so this story ends with an absolutely bountiful and overflowing harvest. Wherever this seed actually finds a home, it brings forth a, a harvest of seven or 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And listen here, this is a message for us Mennonites. The good news here is not that If we all become good soil, then God's abundant harvest will finally come. Do I need to say that again? The good news here is not that if all of us become good soil, then God's abundant harvest will finally come. It's coming with or without us. And the good news is that when we become good soil we get to joyfully participate in what God is doing, the fuller coming of God's kingdom in our world, with or without us. But we can joyfully participate and join in. For as God promises so powerfully in our Isaiah passage, my word shall not return to me empty. but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. God's good purposes are sure and will be accomplished. Amen.